With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Elton John live in Liverpool. Have yeah. you been to watch it? He's on tonight, isn't he? The Echo Arena. Is it? I've seen him, he's shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, honestly, I've seen him live, he was fucking garbage. Was he really? Yeah, yeah, he just makes the noise of the words. That's the only way I can describe him. He doesn't sing the song like, you know, or whatever, whatever his what songs are. Candle in the wind and all that. Yeah. He just makes the noise of the words, candle in the wind. Candle in the wind. Know what I mean? That's exactly what it's like. That's exactly how he sings. A bit like Vic and Bob doing uh, yeah. their uh, pub dances. That's pub, right. Pub microphone. That's exactly what it was. was all it these people that? have spent... Um, About 90 quid a ticket as well, isn't he? And he's shit. He's shit? Yeah, that's a fact. You heard it here first. There you go, that's a new... Um, <laughs> A new leg of the Fight Disciples podcast where we review musical artists that are performing at bigger venues, none bigger than Elton John, in the words of Nick Pete. One word review. Shit. This, 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 this is, is, is Fight Disciples. We are gathered here today for the Fight Disciples UFC and Boxing Talk. Hello, I'm Adam. And I'm Nick. And welcome to episode 18 of the Fight Disciples podcast. How did the uh, office move go? It was good, yeah, yeah. The new office is right on the, um, just literally five yards off Fleet Street in the centre of London. So it's the, Big time uh, now, aren't you? It's the bollocks now, yeah. Serious? Big time now. Massive, massive I bet you were walking in like uh, that Jordan Belfort from Wolf of Wall Street, you, weren't you? I did, yeah. That's exactly what I did. I walked it. I took. I watched the the night before my first day in London. I watched the um, the Devil Wears Prada. Why? Because that's how I, I want to behave as a, a magazine editor. So first, I just walked straight in the next day, dropped my coat on someone's desk, ordered a coffee off somebody else. Down. Is there any cockneys down there that are working with you? Are all, uh, all not the yet. We're moved on, we're down a, from most of the Geordies have moved down yet. So we're doing a bit of a staff recruitment drive at the moment, trying to get some uh, some cockneys, mate. Not me. I noticed that um, on the front cover this month, it's Johnny Bones. Johnny Bones Jones, yeah. Solid. Solid. Yeah, it's a wicked feature we've got about him uh, moving up to heavyweight, and we compare him with all the the best heavyweights in the division and stuff, so exciting times. It's inevitable, isn't it? It's inevitable Johnny Bones is going up to heavyweight, so we thought we'd have a little delve down that road. Can you imagine him and Brock having a go at it? Oh, if only. Just a minute. If only. I've, since the announcement of Brock Lesnar. Yeah. All I've seen to do is just YouTube Brock Lesnar fights from back in the day. Yeah. This is exciting times. I know he's not been involved in UFC now for, what is it, four years? Yeah, it's coming up to four years he's now. He's been yeah. messing about hugging each other in WWE. Yeah. He's back in there, obviously, at UFC 200. It's a big in against, against Mark Hunt. When it comes to knockouts, these boys have got it, haven't they? These boys have got a lot of power in their hands. The, you know what? The Brock thing is sensational, but I was chatting about this in the office. Did they think this through? You know, that's what that's my uh, that's what I'm thinking. It's what like, do you mean? Well, it's it's like they were they were that interested and that keen and that excited about getting Brock signed up and getting him committed to UFC 200. The guy who headlined UFC 100, he's back for UFC 200. I get it. I'm bought in. I can't wait for the uh, can't wait for the show. But then it kind of was like, okay, so uh, who's he gonna fight? 
okay, well, the champs tied up, and the leading contenders tied up, and the former champs tied up, and the other former champs injured, and and suddenly they're working their way they're down the top ten, and then you, you get to the one guy you don't want Brock to fight because Brock's got no gin, he's scared of getting punched. Do anything but put him in there with a murderous one knockout puncher. But then you get to Mark Hunt, and Mark Hunt's like, "Hey, man, I'm ready to I'm go." I'm free. I'm free. It's I'll like, take it. whoa, because Mark Hunt has got really good takedown defense as I- well. Better than Brock's, though? Well, you know, obviously Brock is an outstanding wrestler. wrestler. Outstanding, and his takedowns are ridiculous. But Mark Hunt isn't the guy, you know, you tell me how many times you've seen Mark Hunt on his back in the UFC. Mm. Not a lot. You know, his takedown defence has come on leaps and bounds, and he's a big guy at low centre of gravity. I think that's what Brock's going to have to do. Brock's going to have to charge him, get him on his back, and beat the crap out of him. That will obviously be Brock's game plan. Mm. Mark Hunt's game plan is to just, well, hit him once on the chin. That's it. And then walk away and cash your check. Do you reckon it'll be an entertaining fight? Because in the past, he has been slagged a little bit, Brock, hasn't he? especially yeah. with the uh, UFC 100 against Frank Mir. The, the whole crowd was shouting, stand them up, yeah. stand them up. And just <laughs> as they were going to get stood up, he absolutely nailed him with a ground and pound, didn't he? Yeah. It's, um, listen, it's a... Uh, Mark Hunt's never in a bad fight. In a bad fight, the atmosphere—I think the atmosphere alone, the tension alone, the excitement because Brock's back alone will make it something special. Will make it an amazing main event. Is there still love for him in the UFC? Oh yeah, of course there is. Uh, not necessarily between you know the um, fans and him. I mean, that's what I mean. It's a—you've got or is to he the baddie? Like is he the pantomime baddie that they all love to hate? It's a little bit like a love-hate relationship, you know, because you know you look back now, people think that. You know, there's there's one part of the MMA community or fan base that I think Brock's a bit of a joke that he came in and then disappeared. You know, when the goal and get tough, when he got found out that he had no chin, he, he scarfed off. Excuse me, back to WWE. But you can't disagree with what the guy done. The guy came in, yeah. won the UFC heavyweight title early you know, as well. I mean, what was it? Second, third, fight? straight in there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, you know, straight in, won the title pretty much straight off. You know, looked like he was going to reinvent the wheel in terms of heavyweights in the UFC, but then he fell to the heavyweight title case which we spoke about before no man in history has ever made two successful sorry made three successful title defences of the UFC heavyweight belt and he was no different so the weird thing here is how you know what's the gain you know obviously it's going to drive pay-per-view sales obviously it drives interest I get that but what does kind of Brock get out of it? Is Brock just kind of scratching an itch? You know, does Brock kind of think oh, I got forced out he got you know he was seriously ill we were led to believe last time he had diverticulitis, so he had to come away from MMA to let his body recover, you know, and and rebuild himself physically. It's the show, in it? He wants to be involved in the show. I don't think there's any longevity in this, is there? Well, apparently it's just a one, it's a one, one shot and you're out kind of deal. He's not, he's not sticking around in the UFC. He's not back to win the title. He's back just for one fight. He wants to get it out of his system, and he wants, you know, so then. The UFC putting him in with Mark Hunt, so the Mark Hunt knocks him out. Suddenly, Mark Hunt's a title contender, you know, for real, rather than you know just another one of the guys scrapping in the pack. It's a strange one. It's a crazy matchup, but it's going to be an amazing main event. Can't wait. And just the whole mix of heavyweights now is getting yeah. extremely excited, just like it is in the world of boxing. It's getting yeah. exciting. Well, it yeah. already is exciting in the world of uh, of UFC. Obviously, with Stipe Miocic, with what he did to Vadum, you've yeah. got uh, Alistair Overeem waiting in the wings, maybe for his shot in New York. Then you've got this yeah, particular yeah. bout. Of course. Plus, there's many that we haven't mentioned. You think to yourself, any one of those guys could be heavyweight champion by this time next year. Of course. Well, Junior De Santos is on the road back, that's for sure. Miocic fights Overeem in Ohio, so that's happening in a, in a few weeks' time. Then, as you say, if Kane gets fit, then Kane's always a contender. 
the doom is obviously campaigning for his rematch. You know, he'll he'll want that. So and if Brock knocks out Frank uh, Mark Hunt, Mark you Hunt better well. If that happens, you better believe that he'll be they, he will be offered. I believe he will be offered the heavyweight champion in potentially New York. They will say to Brock, "Stick around, do what you do." You know, fight in New York. And if Brock wipes out Mark Hunt, the clamor for it would be yeah, the demand is massive. Yeah, exactly. And then Brock might think, you know what? Yeah, okay, I want to do it. I want to win the title a second time. So. I refuse to believe it's just a one fight and you're out like we and led to believe. I think it's Brock dipping his toe back in. If he gets caught on the chin, yeah, yeah, I remember now I don't like being punched in the face. <laughs> I remember why I left this thing in the first place. But if he wipes out Mark Hunt, if he takes Mark Hunt down and beats the living crap out of him with a bit of ground and pound, which he's more than capable of doing to any man, yeah. then why not Brock against you know the, the winner of Majocic version over him at the end of the year the Majocic thing is you know okay he's an outstanding boxer great again great takedown defence but Brock is a monster in comparison and if Overeem wins well Overeem had that win his debut in the UFC was against Brock yeah. and he beat the living crap out of Brock you know Brock stood there at the end of his kicks and let himself be kicked all over the place so maybe in Brock's mind that there's a revenge element there. I don't know. The, you know, six the permutation six weeks ago, we didn't even think this. We wouldn't have even th- thought Brock was coming back because he was tied into WWE. But, you know, as we know, over the years, it's proven to us the WWE and the UFC, while they're competitors in terms of pay-per-view sales, they're, they're kind of partners behind closed doors. They do little deals for each yeah. other. Ronda Rousey goes on WrestleMania, you know. They, you know, they, they pop up here, there and everywhere. So Sports it entertainment. Me. That's exactly. what it is, isn't it? Sports entertainment. And as I say, it wouldn't surprise me now if Brock's in the UFC, that suddenly we see Ronda's first thing back in could be WrestleMania for you, WWE. And it's like, okay, we'll lend you our big star if you lend us your big star. That would not surprise me at all. Interesting stuff, without any shadow of a doubt. And uh, we haven't even mentioned um, the 201 show with uh, uh, Robbie Lawler and Tyron Woodley. That looks an absolute oh. belter at, uh, at welterweight as well. Two lads that love to come and bang. Yeah, the weird thing is, not the reception we've got from this hasn't really been that positive on, either. Uh, like, you know, the fans, really? the, fans aren't, the fans aren't super excited about it. People are asking why Woodley deserves his shot. Um, the the rest of the welterweight division are all criticising the fact that Woodley's got his shot. Rory McDonald, Stephen Thompson, all kind of go, well, you know, why is he? You know, Carlos Condit, my favourite. Why why has he got his shot? Why is for me? You know, I, I'm, maybe I'm slightly biased. I spoke to Tyron for a big interview for Fighters Only oh, a few mates, a few months ago. Mates, bomb bomb drop drop drop, and uh, <laughs> magazines on sale now. And uh, you know. When he explained his situation, you know, the, the the path of his fights, you know, he took the Rory McDonald fight at late notice, the one fight that he lost, that was in Canada, the guy's backyard, since then he's done this, this, you know, he was supposed to be fighting Johnny Hendricks, which was eliminator to fight Robbie Lawler, then Johnny Hendricks uh, failed to make weight, he had that big issue mm. on the scales and everything else, the fight got cancelled, then next thing you know, a couple of months later, Johnny Hendricks goes and fights Stephen Thompson. Stephen Thompson obliterates Johnny Hendricks and everyone's saying, oh, well, Stephen Thompson's got to fight for the title. Wait a minute. Tyron Woodley was due to... According to Tyron Woodley, he would have done the same thing yeah. to Johnny Hendricks and he was denied that opportunity. So why should he be overlooked now? Because it wasn't his fault mm. Hendricks failed to make weight, you know? So I, I'm, I'm a fan of the fight. I'm like you, Adam. I think it's going to be an awesome fight. Both those guys come to bang. Okay, they know a bit about each other. They come out of the same camp. But it's not. It's an unusual situation there because, yes, Tyron Woodley trains at ATT, but he's not necessarily a full-time ATT fighter. He does a lot of stuff elsewhere. He, you know, he comes here, there, and everywhere. He does train there, but it's not every day. And, you know, and, and the Robbie Lawler's 
okay, he's based it every day, but the head coaches at ATT from the get-go said, right, we're not getting involved. The people who own it, we're not getting involved. These coaches are going to have to look after him. They'll look after you. You guys do your own thing. So it really isn't going to split the camp or, you know, it's not going to cause civil war in there at all. But then again, this is what happens when you've got two of the best, like, you know, welterweights in the world. Mm. So I'm like you. I think it's going to be an absolute barnstorm. I think Tyrone Woodley's an absolute beast. And I think for the first two rounds, he's a massive threat to Robbie Lawler. I just think down the stretch, no one touches Robbie Lawler. Fourth and fifth rounds, you know, that's when he'll come on strong in the champ. Massive month, July. Um, obviously, we've got UFC 200 at the start of the month, UFC uh, 201 at the end of the month. Um, we will obviously be previewing and getting all excited about that uh, throughout the course uh, of July. So make sure you uh, subscribe and download the podcast. By the way, if you have already subscribed to our podcast, thank you very much. And if you're writing as uh, one of those five-star reviews, uh, we thank you very much as well. We uh, are making inroads into that worldwide visibility. We're, yep. get, we're getting messages Everywhere. From, from places like Mexico. Hey! I don't even speak Mexican, but you know what I'm saying. They go, yeah, love this shit. <laughs> or whatever they say in Mexico is they're drinking a Corona <laughs> and eating tacos. I don't know what they do, man, but they're into the fight game. Uh, so if you are doing that for us, we really appreciate it. If this is the first time you listen to the podcast, if you could get yourself on iTunes, write us a five-star review, write something cool, write it in Spanish if you want. We don't yeah. give a shit. Uh, and then hopefully that increases our worldwide visibility and then everybody can get access to what we are uh, hopefully achieving. Uh, just quickly before I move on to boxing, because it was a great card over in the States this weekend. I want to talk UFC Ottawa yeah. um, with Cowboy against Corte um, in the welterweight division this weekend. Another UFC fight night to get excited about. Yeah, it's an awesome fight card as well because, uh, as you say, Cerrone's continuing his campaign up at welterweight. Um, is he, after, if he if he performs, is he going to be in a shot with, with the likes of Robbie Lola that we've just been speaking about? I don't think he's a million miles away. You know, personally, I, you know, He's probably on the verge of the top ten. He needs a he needs a couple of good wins at a welterweight. Really, Cote's a you know he's a guy who's probably fringe top fifteen for me. So I think if uh, if he can do a number over a Cote, obviously in Canada as well, that would certainly put him in good stead. But he, you know I can't see him getting a title shot. He probably needs another two or three wins at welterweight, and he probably agrees with that as well. I, you know, I'm not convinced of with Cowboy as a welterweight at the moment. Mm. You know, I think he fell short a couple of times at lightweight. Yeah, that's it. I think he's he fell short a couple of times at lightweight, so he's trying to find himself at welterweight now. But what is interesting? This is the first, I think, UFC event now where where they're doing the pre-weigh-ins during fight week, which is something the UFC are introducing to avoid, you know, any incidents or people dramatically losing a lot of weight at short notice. So. This, I'm, sure, I'm pretty sure this is the first event they're doing it at so you've got to be in a percentage range of your target weight three or four days out and stuff like that so, similar to boxing yeah so they kind of it's a bit of a clamp down now so that might have been a factor with Cowboys move up to welterweight as well maybe he is a big a guy that loses a chunk of weight last minute to yeah. hit lightweight so he's probably thinking a bit more long term but I'd like to see him fight a few more times before he gets anything at welterweight obviously top of the bill Rory McDonald Stephen Thompson two guys we just mentioned earlier both of these guys are completely and utterly legit welterweight title contenders uh Obviously, Rory had that absolute war with Robbie Lawler at the back end of last year, which was fight of the year. Yeah. Absolutely outstanding. You know, for me, a fight like that, when when guys go through fights like that and come out as the loser, as he did, he lost it, you know, he TKO in the fifth round. He was busted up bad. You really need to see them in another tough fight to see, see what if they've, they've got lost left. anything. Exactly. And that was the horrible thing. That one of the, that fight was on their fights where you think, God, he, he he's never going to be the same again, this kid. And this is a tough opponent, Stephen Thompson. You know, he came into the UFC with some ridiculous kickboxing record where he'd won 
you know, 150 fights and so many world title belts and everything else. He came into the UFC, kind of stumbled a little bit early on, but now he's really finding his range and he kind of looks like, you know, the, the new white Anderson Silver, if you like. That's what he's putting out there. <laughs> Spinning kicks, flips, flying knees, the white elbows. white Anderson Silver. That's it. He, he, this guy looks like a superstar. If he doesn't number on Rory McDonald, categorically, he fights the winner of, uh, of Woodley versus uh, Lawler later in the month. So, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big event. It's a good event. Back in Canada for the first time. I haven't been to Canada for a while. Canada used to be like the hotbed for the UFC, but they've really stopped. GSP, in it? Yeah, GSP. They kind of stopped going there now. The photos, you know, they, all the big clamour for tickets has gone a little bit, but there's uh, some good Canadians on the card. And the other one I want to mention is the light heavyweight Steve Bose, who's fighting. I think it's like Coco main events, if you like. It's on the main card. But um, this guy was, from what I can gather, this guy was through out of professional hockey. Because um, he was too violent and basically found his way into MMA and ultimately the UFC. As you do. Which says it all. If yeah, anyone's yeah. ever watched ice hockey, those guys are nuts and think not enough beating the crap out of each other. So he's. Uh, he's too violent. He's, he's, too, he's violent too violent for, for hockey. hockey. <laughs> so he's come into MMA and obviously he's, he's done so well. He's found himself in the UFC now. So he's a guy worth looking out for because he's an absolute lunatic. Uh, for people that are uh, following the European Championships as well, they're probably um, anticipating a bid from the UFC for Martin Skirtle. <laughs> Yeah. Liverpool, I think, are going to struggle to sell him this summer unless a bid from the UFC does come their way. <laughs> Fantastic elbow um, on the young uh, Welshman that was uh, skating around the box. Sensational that he, he he could have got stuck into a bit of ground and pound as well. I reckon. Exactly, it was the uh, it was like the rocks people. Was it the rock about the people's elbow? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. <laughs> the amount of memes that went round social media afterwards with people jumping off the top turnbuckle. <laughs> insinuating that that's how Skirtle does his tackles were, was superb loved every minute of it this is the Fight Disciples podcast subscribe now via the iTunes store I noticed that uh, your uh, your love child was uh, in action at the weekend the man oh. that every single time that we are in the studio right he says did you did you see Lamachenko did you oh. see Lamachenko this is all the this is all he talks to me about <laughs> He was a bit sensational, wasn't he? He's just, you know what? Uh, I've been telling everybody since I've seen him fight live in 2008. Before he went pro? Yeah, yeah. Before he won his second Olympic gold. Uh, it was actually before he won his first Olympic gold medal, I think. European Championships in Liverpool 2008. He came here. He won the gold medal. At one stage, he was boxing in a Green Bank Sports Centre, which is just a leisure set, a council-run leisure centre in front of less than a thousand people in the quarterfinals or the first round or whatever it was. And even then, just watching him then, you could see how outstanding he was. Literally everything. Southpaw, orthodox, foot, you know, his footwork, speed of his hands, the way he was putting combinations yeah. together... There'll be people listening to this podcast that have never heard of the fella, right? Vasil uh, Lamachenko. Yeah. Ukrainian. Yeah. Um, tell us a little bit about his amateur career, because if we are to believe the reports... Now, we've had Stephen Smith on here, who himself had a fantastic amateur career. Now, most amateurs... One, will, of, the, one of the best amateur careers in, you know, in British boxing, boxing history. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. And Stephen, you, Christ. And, and if you look at people's records, you will have most of maybe 100 to 200 fights. Yeah. And in that 100 to 200 fights, a good amateur will probably have lost between 20 and 45 yes yeah, around like, that yeah, because that's, because that's the way the, na- yeah, the, of na- course, the nature gonna of amateur some boxing is. you're going to lose some fights of course, yeah. political of whatever course. else yeah yeah i think uh, i think Stephen himself has had about 150 fights and he's lost 20 yeah. so that is sensational and at least half of them were 
political. Yeah, probably political. Absolutely. But so, anyway, sensational. So let's move on to uh, Vasil Lomachenko, who people are now re- regarding as the greatest amateur of all time. Yeah. This is the reason why they're saying this, Nick. He's had 397 fights, yeah? 397 fights. I'm just going to pause for a minute and let our listeners just breathe that in. 397 amateur fights. Now, just have a little bit of a guess. You just take it, whilst you're sat in your car, you've got your headphones in, or you're sat on the train listening to this right now, how many of those 397 fights do you think Mr. Lamachenko uh, got ill-fated decisions? How many do you reckon? That's national tournaments, European tournaments, world championships, Olympics, everything. Two Olympics. How many did he lose? Well, I'll tell you how many he lost. Allegedly, he lost one. Yeah. (laughs) 396 and one is his amateur record. It's (laughs) It's <laughs> incredible, absolutely incredible that he was able to build up that kind of record in a sport which, and I've been writing about amateur boxing and pro boxing since the day, you know, since before I left the university, before I got trained, uh, coming up to 20 years now. and um, Never seen anything like that. It's impossible. I'll tell you now, it's impossible. You know, unless it was written down, unless it was, you know, recorded, I would say that would be impossible because the sport is very political at times. You know, if you go to a foreign shores and you fight, you know, I'm telling you now, that is outstanding. And the reason he's got that, the reason he's got that record is because in those fights, he'll have won so convincingly. Yeah that it would have been impossible to go against I'd like to point out as well, the guy that beat him, he not only went back and avenged that loss and beat him, he went back again and beat him again. Just to prove the point. Yeah, he gave him a double beating. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It was very similar to Muhammad Ali, right? If you you, uh, believe that you can beat me, you better wake up and (laughs) apologise type of vibe. That's what happened with Lomachenko that day. (laughs) Went back and beat him up (laughs) twice, yeah. Unreal. Now he's turned pro. Well, in fact, before we even talk about turning pro, like you said, double Olympic champion. He's won Double two. Olympic champion, Val, Val Barker trophy winner for best boxer of the tournament. Two different weights as well at the Olympics, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, featherweight and lightweight, yeah. Yeah, so it's... Uh, His amateur career is littered with gold. Yeah, so I think he won two Europeans, he definitely won two Wales, and he definitely won, obviously, two Olympics, because he won in London and he won in Beijing yeah. four years prior to that. I'm pretty sure I seen him Well, that's him the first time I saw him. I, first yeah. time I saw him was at Beijing. the XL in... No, in London. Oh, in London, right, XL yeah. in London was the first time I saw him, and I just thought, who the fuck is that? Yeah, yeah. Unreal. Absolutely outstanding, yeah. Never, Honestly, I've said it since the day I've seen him box, and I will say it until the day I die, I guarantee it. You'll never see an amateur like him. His, he was... So accomplished in every single area of the sport, it was frightening. You know, going back to his corner, not even sitting down, didn't even just didn't need to sit down. Didn't need in complete control, totally cool in every situation. Could do anything, could throw any punch, could fight. I say orthodox southpaw, didn't matter to him at all. His footwork was, it was just outstanding. And you, you feel like you want to watch him, video it, and show every amateur boxer, you know, every kid out there now, do that. Just, this is what you should aspire towards. This is what you've got to perfect because he's perfect in every region. So when he did decide to turn pro, we knew it was going to be sensational. Well, this is what I was going to say because the majority of people can have fantastic amateur careers. Then they turn pro and they find that the pro game's a little bit different. Yeah. This guy now, yeah. <laughs> Let's just reflect on AJ. Anthony Joshua. Yeah. Gold medal, just like Lomachenko, in London. He had, what, 90, 18, 19 fights before he fought for the world title? Mm-hmm. And then he fought... 18th, yeah. 18th. 18th. So then he fights for the world heavyweight title. Incredible achievements. Most people, compared to most people, you'd say that was pretty quick. Because at the time, most Oh, it's too soon. Too soon. 18 fight for the world heavyweight title. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Too Slow soon. Down, too man. soon. You're getting carried away now. Blah, blah. blah opportunity knocked and that's why he'd done it. 
Lomachenko. Go on, tell us. Tell us how many fights. So, well, Lomachenko to date, right? So <laughs> at the weekend, it was his seventh. Yeah. Seventh professional bout, right? His seventh professional bout. Now, obviously now, if you listen to this, you know that at the weekend he won a world title. Okay. Yeah. So therefore he's a world champion in his seventh fight. Now I know you sat there and you're thinking to yourself, blooming heck, that's pretty impressive. Seven fights, he's world champion already. Well, wait a minute, we've jumped the gun because let's go back to his third fight. Yeah. Third, that's right. His third fight, he had already become a world champion. So by yeah. his seventh fight, he is now a two-weight world champion. Featherweight, super featherweight. He's already picked up the WBO belts in both those divisions. It's incredible. He started his career with a 12-rounder. His first pro fight was a 12-rounder for the WBO international featherweight title. His second fight was for the WBO interna- against the world champion. He lost that on a you know quite controversial split decision. His third fight was fighting for the same belt against a different opponent. He wins the world title. Then he goes on to make two defences, and then in his seventh fight at the weekend, he wins a world title of a second weight division, super featherweight. It's the guy is absolutely mustard, mustard, and you know the knockout at the weekend against Roman Martinez. That was sensational. It was it was unreal. And we're talking about uh, we're talking about an established super featherweight world yeah, champion, yeah. Roman Martinez, someone that Stephen Smith's been touting. I fancy a bit of a bang with this fella. Yeah, he was. Yeah. That's where Stephen was eyeing towards, yeah. but this kid just comes along. Gets in there and he does not mess about. Just obliterated him. Obliterated him. And the thing I like is the fact that, you know, okay, he won the world title. He made a couple of defences, couple of, you know, point. he went to points a couple of times and things like that. And you start thinking, oh, maybe he's not got the power as a pro. Maybe he's not, you know, quite as accomplished. But then, you know, his last three fights have all been straight knockouts, including this step up to super featherweights. Let's not forget in London, he won the gold medal at lightweights as well. Yeah. So the scope to go even bigger. I think he's one of these guys that he killed himself to make featherweight, to make his pro debut, to win a world title of featherweight, to make a couple of defences. And it's like, okay, let's put a bit of douche back on now. Let's let me body grow out again. Super feather, bang, knocks out Roma. You know, that, that finish at the weekend, that was outstanding. No yeah, one does that to him. That, you know, that guy was probably ranked, if not one or two in the world. And Lomachenko steps up, absolutely obliterates him. The way, the manner in which he done it as well, the way they set it up at the finish, outstanding. And uh, you know, he's definitely my tip for now to become voted in my mind. Another big win like that. Pound, I'm talking you? pound for pound now. Yeah, you're talking over. I'm talking Triple G, Canelo. You know, Andre Ward. I'm talking Lomachenko was right in the mix with. Well, you said guys. that. You said that since he became world champ. In his third the first fight. time, yeah, 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 when he became world champion. I refuse to say if someone asked me who's the best pound for pound, I would say Andre Ward or Triple G. But that's because, there was is always that because a but. the mass market knows. Well, them. just because they're more established, yeah. If you, you know, to the to the normal boxing fan who just tunes into Sky Sports, who doesn't necessarily follow it on the web every day, isn't doesn't jump up in the morning like we do and check the boxing news and you know everything else and you know. F- taking all that information yeah, yeah. in for just a normal guy. They don't know who Lomachenko is yet. They know who Andre Ward is. They yeah. know who Triple G is because they've been around and champions for so long and they've read so much stuff and they've seen him on Sky Sports. So Lomachenko, most people don't know. But whenever I get to either Andre Ward, Triple G, or my guy Lomachenko, you know, and now after a win like that, the weekend... I chuck in Chocolatito I, I, as well, I by feel, the way. Yeah. <laughs> just because I like his name. But I feel like there's no one... I feel like the the... The, the secret's out now. You can't now. argue now. The secret's out now. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You Two-way world champion that. by the seventh fight. Seventh pro fight. And you know what? We we spoke about it earlier. After when we were talking about this fight, when we he won the world title before we started recording it, you said to me, 
He could be a three-time world champion by, by his 10th fight, and that wouldn't surprise me at all. Because if you look at his next step up, would be lightweight. He's normal where he won his Olympics. Yeah. So you think to yourself, who's there at lightweight? Well, Anthony Crawler's there at lightweight. Yeah. Terry, um, Flanagan. Terry Flanagan's there at lightweight. There's obviously a couple of other fellas in there as well that are away from uh, the UK. But you think to yourself, no disrespect to those boys. They're good fighters, and I, and I love them to pieces. You know how biased I am towards Anthony Crawler. But I look at this kid, and I think, no. stay out of the way, man. Get no. out of the way of this fella. Definitely not. You know, if if uh, if Triple G moved up to super middleweight, I would I would love to see that fight with Callum Smith. I would love to see that fight with James the Gale. I would love to see that. You know, I would like to see it as a fight fan. I would like to see it because I've got a lot of confidence in their ability. But as a friend of those people, you go. I would go. Oh, it's a tough fight. But Callum, you know, at the end of the day, Callum Smith's a monster. James the Gale's proven world champion, gold medalist himself. They would have a slight, you know, that size advantage, the use of the 12 stone weight. You know, I would argue that's a, that's a competitive kind of thing. In terms of Crawler and Flanagan, I, you know, I know Crawler pretty well. Uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Terry Flanagan. I don't want to see either, I don't want to see either of those guys get in with Lomachenko, you know, and that's no disrespect to those guys because Lomachenko is mustard, absolutely mustard. And I just don't think there's anybody at super, fe- I think he's categorically now the best super featherweight on the planet. And I think there's a debate to be put forward already that he's, he could potentially be the best lightweight on the planet as well. And that's without him even fighting a lightweight. I look at that. The lightweight division is stacked at the moment. Yeah, it is. It's so competitive and there's some really good guys in there. But I think Lomachenko's ability, for me, I would already... Well, you look at him now. I mean, who, who is it? Jorge uh, Linares, who yeah. they are tipping Anthony Crawler maybe up next if they don't make the unification fight with Terry Flanagan. Flanagan. You would look at Linares and you think to yourself, well, I reckon Crawler beats Linares. So if I think Crawler beats Linares, this kid smashes Linares to pieces and he does it early. Yeah. You look at the other two that I've just mentioned there in Crawler and Flanagan. Again, I love the pair of them, both our boys, but you think to yourself, this guy's just ridiculous. Yeah, he is because he can do everything. He can fight anyway. He can fight on the inside, the outside. You know, he's, he's got it all. How far could he go? And he just with looks weight? like he's getting more powerful. Well, that's what. How far would he go with weight? He was very lean, a featherweight, and even at the weekend, he didn't look like he was bulked up. He didn't look like he was carrying excess weight or excess muscle. He looked good, but that's what makes me think he can move up to lightweight as well because he's still got that little bit of size. Yeah, but to go even further than that. Well, he could even, you know, potentially further down the line. You know, super lightweight or because if you remember Pacquiao, Pacquiao was what yeah, five exactly, weight? Yeah. Was he five or six? Fly, flyweight, uh, five because he starts or flyweight, yeah, yeah, five super weight flyweight. Watch. I mean, we, for people now that look back at the career of uh, Manny Pacquiao and they go, "Oh my word, look at this five weight world champ!" All this type of stuff. This is the type of kid that we're talking about right now. For those that don't know anything I would about say, him. I would say at this point, obviously, at this point for what he's achieved, he's obviously more of a prospect than Pacquiao ever was after seven fights. And obviously the difference there is Pacquiao started a flyweight, so the steps up in weight are a bit more gradual early on and then it gets a bit more bigger. But, you know, with the ability that Lomachenko has got, the power he's showing now that, that he's getting bigger, he's getting more powerful, I definitely wouldn't rule out a step up to super lightweight and potentially even welterweight down the line. Would he, to be fair, for him to get that world, worldwide notoriety, me and you, we sit here and we go, this guy's unbelievable. But for worldwide notoriety, for those guys, the casual fans who pay the money to go to Vegas to watch this kid fight, welterweight's probably the that division where he would have to step up to, wouldn't he, to get those bigger boys? Yeah, because there's more marquee names there, I guess. Yeah. You know, that's the problem with super featherweight. You know, it's not necessarily packed with marquee names. Um, so he's currently at 130 pounds. Yeah. So we're talking about another 17 pounds, really. Is that that's what we're talking about? Yeah. Another stone, at least. And but if you look at his frame, 
You wouldn't He's argue that he could do that. Yeah, he could definitely do that. I believe so. Anyway, so uh, it's going to be it's going to be interesting now to see how his career progresses because he's not he's not the guy you want your manager to answer the call about. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> Unless there's at least ten million yeah, on, the, on you, the door. You, that's you want big money to fight Lomachenko, but he's not yet on the same level as Triple G or Canelo or Andre Ward in terms of pay per view buys and stuff like that. So. He doesn't carry that cash cow kind of, you know. You fight Canelo, you be, you you make a lot of money because yeah, he's yeah. a cash cow. Triple G, likewise. Now nobody wants to fight him, but everybody wants to watch him. This guy, nobody wants to fight Lomachenko, and at the moment, not everybody wants to watch him because not not yeah, everybody is no, aware of him just yet. Yeah, yeah. But that win at the weekend, that was a big win. He'll get a lot of press for that, and rightfully so. And I believe he's the uh, he's the man now. Uh, off, for me, also at the weekend, Demetrius Andrade. Um, he started making a little bit of noise in the uh, super welterweight division. He made uh, Willie Nelson uh, look extremely. Um, he really did. Different level. When yeah, I, yeah. Whenever I say Willie Nelson's name, I always think of my, maybe a country and western singer. I do. I just think around sitting around the campfire, tossing some marshmallows. <laughs> you know, just singing ding 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 ding. Bit, <laughs> bit of deliverance or just something. Little, little mm. old man, yeah. Uh, but he did look good. He looked very, very good. Um, and obviously, this is now a division that. Uh, uh, Liam Smith is looking for a massive fighting in the 154-pound category of Super Worldweight. That's where he is, the uh, champion. We've got the uh, Charlo, Charlo Twins. Brothers, yeah. uh, we've also got Erisande Lara in there. Yeah. Um, Andrade, after the fight, called out. I can't remember which uh, Charlo Twin he called out, but he called out one of them anyway. They look identical, the same. The same yeah, fighter. Yeah, yeah. He called out same. one of those guys. But is that the type of dude that Liam Smith needs to get his hands on? Yeah, of course it is. Yeah, you know, Liam's, Liam's again... He's got all the potential in the world. He's got that world title belt now. We want a marquee name. We want someone big. From Andrade, by the way, used to be the WBO champion, didn't he? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, of course. We, you know, for, I think over here, in terms of UK fight fans, the Charlo brothers, you know, Andre, the, these type, for the hardcore fight fans, we know that these guys are, you know, top class, are, are right, are right it's up like, it's there. It's a similar situation that Kel Brook finds himself in. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, Jesse Vargas is top class, but. Yeah, does the casual man on the street know who That's he is? It. You're kind of on the thing with Liam is that, and the same with Kelbrook. We're over here. We're on the outside looking in. You know, the goldfish bowl is America, and the belt and the champions over there, and, the, and whatever else. And we're on this side of the world, trying to look in and trying to peer in. Obviously, what you want to do is we want Liam to fight here. We want him to fight on UK soil. We want to build the fan base like they did with Ricky Hatton. Mm. And when the Vegas fights come, then we all jump on a flight and we all go to Vegas for the Jolly Boys. That one. <laughs> That's what we want. You go Are at you this listening, stage. Liam? Yeah. You listening, son? We're ready. But if you go at this stage to fight one of the Charlo brothers, to fight Andre or whatever else, the money isn't necessarily going to be there. Liam's not a big sell. Liam's not going to take thousands over with him. Yeah. You know, all the family and all his mates will go off. Liverpool will probably try and go. But that's it's not, not Ricky Hatton. That's yet, not Ricky Hatton numbers just yeah. yet. So what you've got to do is we need the marquee net. Not necessarily the best champions. Not necessarily the unification fights. We need names. For example, come here. A Shane Mosley. Exactly. That's what Liam needs, you know. And there's a couple of guys in there at the moment who I think could pull it off. Ishe Smith, for sure. Because people know him from the Contender show and everything else. He's still a bit of a name. Obviously, Austin Trout. Great name. Floating around. He's a name. Well, the Trout fight was nearly made for Liam Smith, wasn't it? But then he decided to go and fight one of the uh, Charlo twins. For, yeah. for the belt recently of which he sadly lost out to so maybe that is a nice fight for Trout to say to himself I'm going to go and lick my wounds I'll go over to the UK fight for the WBO belt win a world title belt come back, and back anyway. in the mix yeah, yeah. that's what he'll be thinking so Trout could be a little one to pick out and the other one I like is 
that canine Bundridge, another guy formerly of the Great contender, Cornelius Canine Bundridge. I think that's a name as well. These are all guys who are ranked in the top 10, but not necessarily world champions. But I think those guys who were on the contender show that fight fans in the UK would have watched and go, ah, oh, I remember him. He was on the, that's, they're the kind of they're names. They're more likely that, to be able yeah, to get over to the UK and do it. Exactly. They're the, they're, you're more likely to release somebody like that and attract them over here than you are one of the world champions to come onto foreign soil. But it's not a bad thing, as I say. It just builds Liam's profile. He's, it's going to sell. You could argue you're going to sell more tickets putting him in with one of these ex-contender guys than even with the yeah. world champion. You the know thing is, I mean? so, fr- from his point of view, though, I mean, we should all, all fighters in the UK now, if they get themselves a world title, they should really look at Amir Khan and how he goes about marketing his business. Because that's what it is at the end of the day. It's about a money-making situation, it is, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Now, how often does Amir Khan fight in the UK? I can't remember the last time he fought in the UK. No, I know. So therefore, he goes over to the States, he markets himself well, the guys in America love him because he's always in a great fight, whether it's him knocking somebody out, whether it's him going the distance and being in a tear-up, or whether it's him getting knocked out himself. Yeah. He's in a fight and they love that and they pay for that. That is where the big money is, isn't it? Of course Pay-per-view it sales in America. That's where yeah. you want to be. So... Your argument, I agree, because as a fight fan in the UK, I want to see the kid fighting in the Echo Arena, at the Manchester Arena, at the eight or 2 That's where I want to see Liam fighting. But for him, he needs yeah. to go to the States, doesn't he? He needs to go and fight in Madison Square Garden. He needs to go and fight in uh, Vegas in order to be on the undercard of a Mayweather promotion or something. Yeah. So then people go, hey, that, that Liam Smith was half decent. Maybe we should get him in with one of the Charlo boys. And when that fight is made, yeah. people then put their hands in the pocket in the pay because it's big money, the pay-per-view in America. It's Jeez. not like here. It's not no, like no. 15 quid. It's $60 a time to go and watch exactly. these fights. Exactly. And they get, and the fighters, you know, more often than not, the champions will get a slice of that, directly a slice of what the pay-per-view yeah, exactly. as well. So that's what Liam's got to do. He's got to get himself in that mix. But the good thing is, you know, it's not like... He's getting in that mix. But the good thing is the belts are spread out. There's a lot of champions. There's a lot of world champions. And the beauty for him is, is that Charlo twins, they're brothers. They're not going to fight each other. No. And the other guy, Erisande Lara, mm-hmm. is trained by the same trainer as what one of the other Charlo twins. So that narrows everything down. Those fights aren't going to happen between themselves. So if somebody wants to unify this division, they have to come to Liam Smith because he's the geezer here with the WBO belt going, I'm ready, boys, whenever you're ready. Yeah. But like you say, in order to build that for him to get some cash, well, he, needs that he needs an Austin Trout, for example. Well, he, ideally, he needs a Shane Mosley. Yeah, that's that the fight, one. When that fight was getting rumoured, you know, we, sp- we spoke about it on the show and we were so excited about it. And I said to you, categorically, Liam Smith will be chomping at the bit to take that fight Liam, Liam's one of them lads he'll fight anyone it doesn't matter you know it's probably with Triple G tomorrow Liam will do it Liam will you know borrow someone's gum shield and get in there but this is about Not career a problem. now isn't it career management he needs a Shane Mosley he needs someone that the British fans know and recognise Miguel Cotto an ex-champion someone like that would be absolutely career transforming because he would win a fight like that it would generate huge numbers in the US because they, they're watching thinking, oh, Shane Mosley's going to win his world title back. So Liam defeating somebody like that immediately makes him a pay-per-view draw in America. Mm. And then he's right in the mix with all the Charlo twins, with Andre, all these guys. And that's that's the key to Liam now unlocking it. But that's that's been the key, don't forget, to Kel Brook unlocking his riches as well. And he's been sat on it and for he's two been, years, he's it? been sitting there for two years trying to do it. It's not It's not easy. It's not easy. And then you've, you've got a decision then because you go over to America... And you do what Ricky did, and you're kind of dropping and out of America when you, you know, 
to fight or to la- latterly in his career for your fight camps and everything else all you do what Amir's done you think you know what I'm going to make a fortune I'm going to uproot I'm going to move over there you know Amir married a girl from New York yeah. and he lives in New York now obviously he's based in California with his train and comes back to Bolton just to see family I, I'd hazard a guess that Amir spends more time in the US than he does in the UK yeah, these days but he's had to do that he's committed to it he wants to earn as much money as possible and that's what our guys have got to try and get in their heads you know I've been saying to you for over a year Kel Brooks got to go to America they can't attract you know Eddie Hearn's got deep pockets and one thing Eddie Hearn's done okay you know he's he's kind of suck boxing into Sky Sports and it's just matchroom now it's just the Hearns for me I'm not a huge fan of that I Same. did like it when other people could promote but you can't deny that Eddie Hearn has done incredible things for for British boxing because we've got 13 world champions using his method if you like his way of doing things and the reason he's done it is he puts his hand in his pocket he pays people big money to take fights on this side of the this this side of the world and that's how you know Anthony Joshua got the fight he paid the kid more money than anyone else was ever going to pay him yep. and he come in and Anthony Joshua obliterated him problem is Kel Brook isn't selling tickets like Anthony Joshua and neither is Liam Smith selling tickets like Anthony Joshua so you've got to try and find a happy medium he can't just throw a fortune at someone but someone like a Cotto someone like a you know someone like that coming over here would do a big sale here could potentially do pay-per-view here for either Kel or Liam Smith and that unlocks the US what about them two mixing together maybe at a catchweight because the rumour is is that Frank Warren offered Kel Brook 600 grand to make that fight happen you know what that would be amazing for British boxing, but would it generate any headlines in the US? It wouldn't. That's the problem. So it, you're not getting any closer to either of them getting a big... That, that's why I don't like... I, I like that fight from a British fight, fight fan point of view. But for longevity... I would love wise. to be ringside, so yeah, I want that to happen. But for either of their careers, what does it actually achieve? What does it, you know... What does it achieve for either of them? You know, it probably lift Liam's profile a bit more than Kel Brook if you like, because Kel's potentially higher up because he's been sitting waiting for two years. Yeah, yeah. You know, so that's the wrong fight for both of them for me. It's the wrong fight for both of them. Both of them need to unlock America to get rich. That's a fact. They fight each other. Okay, they they probably make potentially, arguably the best paydays, certainly the best payday of Liam's career. But unlocking America in their own way is the key and then bringing it back over here. You know, obviously the biggest fight for Kel Brook remains categorically Amir Khan at Wembley. That's the biggest fight out there for him, potentially. But but Amir's made it clear he's not interested. He's not interested in that fight because Amir is going to make more money fighting in the US on pay-per-view in the US, whoever it's against, Canelo or whatever other incredibly mad fights he comes up with. He's unlocked America. He's done the hard part. Kel's got to do that. Liam's got to do that. Goes for every world champion in this country. That's why Anthony Joshua's going to end up fighting in America soon, defending his world title over there. Well, he's just signed a TV deal, Because you, you make more money there. That's where the money is. And that, at the end of the day, that's why all these lads are in the business. That's why we love the sport. That's why we want the, we want all these fighters to become millionaires. But you don't do it fighting on shows in Wigan or in, you know... In my back garden. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You've got to get... Even the Echo Arena, you don't become a millionaire defending your world title at the Echo Arena. You become a millionaire fighting in stadiums or in the US. The US is the key, and that's where everyone's got to go. You mentioned Joshua there. Obviously, there is a method in everybody's madness. I know that he's got uh, Brazil coming up um, at the end of this month, of which we're going to be doing quite a lot on men because one of our boys, Martin Money, is going to be in there with George Groves. It's going to be an absolute turn up that at the super middleweight division. However, on Joshua, there's a. You mentioned Eddie Earn. There's method in everybody's madness. He's a live fighter, is Dominic Brazil, that's coming into this fight. He's a good yeah. one. He's a good one. Olympian, former uh, American footballer. He's a big boy and he can bang. Undefeated, big knockout rate. But 
He's American. And that's the thing, isn't it? Of course it is. Even in the States, when you look at Charles Martin, people will go, oh, he's not really a champion. This kid is necess- a little bit of a hope. He's like, in America, they look at him like we look at Anthony Joshua at this moment in time, the yep. up-and-comer, that's the guy that went to the Olympics. If Anthony Joshua does the business on him, and I anticipate that he will do, yeah. that, again, raises his profile. It's all about profile raising. It's all about that uh, that career management that we've just been speaking about. Of course it is, yeah. And that's, you know... HBO is it HBO or Showtime? Showtime. Showtime have got to raise Anthony Joshua's profile to generate interest, and the easy way to do that is you put him in with an American who's already got a bit of a profile. You know, you're building towards a Deontay Wilder unification fight. You put him on, and you know, worst case scenario, what if Brazil wins? Then suddenly America's got another world champion. Yeah, so yeah. it's a win-win for Showtime. It's a great fight for Anthony Joshua, as you say, it unlocks that US market, and that's the key to the game. I think it'll be a good fight, actually. Yeah, so do a I. A lot of people are telling me that oh, he's going to come in and blow this kid away, mainly because they haven't heard of Brazil. But yeah. he's a good fighter. He is, yeah, and yeah. And he's long. Go... He knows how to fight long yeah, as well. I think it will be along the same lines as what we saw with Dillian White. This will be the best test that we've yeah. seen. Yeah, the guy's completely different from Dillian White in terms of stature. He's a lot taller. He's, you know, he's probably. He's, I think he's taller than Joshua, as far yeah, as I know. So. I expect him to use his length a little bit more. I think Joshua's probably a, a bit stronger. Uh, his love me. length. That's just me being <laughs> He's going to use his length on him. <laughs> but to be honest, I think I, I think Joshua's got the power to scare anybody. So mm. I think uh, I think that's once he lands on the chin, it'll be a different story. It'll be survival mode for Brazil, mm. long term for me. But it's a good fight. Speaking about uh, getting landed on the chin, just to finish off this week. We've uh, obviously got the sad news that Enzo Macronelli is going to be calling it a day. He was having going he's, for his one last shot at uh, Superstarnum, the former world champion taking on um, Dmitrio Kucha at the weekend. Everybody was tipping um, Enzo to do the business in this particular fight at the York Hall to come through, become European champion, and then maybe kick on. And who knows, maybe even challenge our very own Tony Bellew for a world title at Cruiserweight. However, it wasn't to be. First no. round, he got clipped and he just couldn't recover. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, we've seen it before. Did have me with the uh, with the big man? You know, I, I like the guys. One of them, honestly, genuine. And I'll probably say this. I think I do actually say this every week about a different fighter. He's one of the nicest guys in boxing. Seriously, they're all nice guys, but uh, he's an absolute diamond. And so you know, he's one of them fellas who give you the shirt off his back. Uh, I've known him for a long time, and um, you know, he had a lot of success earlier on in his career. He's a former world champion himself. I think, I think, I think he even knows that that horse has bolted a long, you know, a long time ago. But this opportunity came up, and you don't turn it down because you know, at the end of the day, he's obviously still in love with the sport. Um, but I think that's. I think I've seen him. I've seen Enzo unfortunately get picked up off the canvas enough times now, and uh, hopefully sense now will kick in and his family and, and put his arm around him and say, you know, you you've achieved a lot. You became a world champion in, in your yeah. day. So you, I don't deny him taking the opportunity, but you know, I think that's you've got to have a shot though. Once you when you knock out Roy Jones Jr. Exactly, which he did, yeah, yeah. You've, you've got to have yeah. a do. Well, the artist formerly known as Roy Jones Jr. <laughs> yeah, let's enough. be honest, but uh, but yeah, you know. I feel for Enzo because he, he was doing so well in his career and if you remember he was riding the crest of a wave but then he bumped into David Hay and they, and obviously David absolutely obliterated him and I don't think Enzo was ever the same, the same since, since unfortunately and uh, you know he's kind of limped from one title shot to another since then and one retirement to another but uh, you know, I just feel for him, you know, he's, as I say, he's an absolute diamond of a guy and, uh, you know, what, a, what an incredible career he has had. Next time with the Fight Disciples. On next week's programme, we build up towards Anthony Joshua, Dominic Brazil, and, of course, 
Uh, Martin Murray's Eliminator with George Groves. A super battle at yeah. super middleweight. I was, at, I was uh, had a little sneak peek in that gym this week and watched Martin Murray sparring with uh, with an MMA fighter, actually, a guy called Jack McGann, who's an absolutely rising superstar, future UFC guy for sure. And, uh, yeah, you're looking nice and sharp, Martin, so looking very strong. Mm. I expect that to be an absolute war with George Groves. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast so therefore you don't miss any uh, future content that we do upload. Please write us a five-star review which increases our visibility worldwide. And if you've already done it, much appreciated. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.